Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for gathering us here this morning. We ask for the Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts and our minds, that what we will hear will come into our hearts, and that we will be able to learn to put into practice what we learn so that we can do uh, your bidding. And thank you so much that you have brought Pastor Daniel Rojas to be, to be with us this morning. We pray that you speak through him, give him words and guidance so that he can speak to us in a way that you want us to hear. And may this message be in our hearts so that, that uh, we can make a difference, difference for your cause. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, hello everyone. I hope that you're doing good and that you're enjoying the camp. And um, I had the privilege to be with you on this morning. My name is Daniel Rojas. And as Pastor Sam mentioned, I work as well at the ASAP Ministries. And I'm responsible for the uh, Hispanic area, as well as uh, what is related also to um, uh, communication as well. So uh, it's for me a pleasure to be here this morning and share with you some of these important uh, insights of some of the work that we have been doing. And uh, we are excited to share with you. So refugee and immigrant outreach, why we should do this? You know, why in this moment in time? Why is it that we need to do this? So think about it. In a country that has more than 330 million of people living here, and so many people coming from so many different places every single day. Imagine now how big of a mission field it is. How big of an opportunity we have to share the gospel with so many people that are coming from different places. And many of these people are coming, uh, especially from places that are uh, from that come from conflict, you know, and also they have been displaced from uh, the places where they used to live. To live, so there is a lot of things and a lot of needs that we need to take care of as we uh, minister to them. So think about that. We have a big mission field, and it's right next to our churches and and also to the places where we live. So refugee and immigrant outreach, church and personal involvement. I would like to share with you some of the things that we need to do, especially when we as a church or personally are trying to find out ways how to minister and how to do outreach. Okay? Of course, in the strategy that, like, how we're going to do this? You know, of course, the strategy is find out if you have what? Refugees, of course, in your area. And at AACP, we'll be more than glad, uh, especially in the area of uh, working with the local refugees. I'm understanding as Pastor Bill um, also is working in that area, so we'll be more than happy to help you in helping, finding out, and also Pastor Paul and Pastor Sen will be able to help you to find out if there are refugees in your area. You could also do a, a quick search as well on the internet to see what is the demographics of the people that are living in your area as well. So there's a lot of immigration going on here in Michigan. And if you have any more, um, if you have any question or, or need help on how to find out uh, if uh, how many uh, refugees live in your area, so don't not hesitate to send us an email. You'll see it on the board, daniel.rojas at aacpministries.org. Or you also have my personal email as well, okay? So you will see the first email, Daniel that rojas at aacpministries.org. And we will be more, glad, more than glad to help and to coordinate with you in how to find uh, 
who are the refugees that are in your area, okay? So this, and, and once you find out if there are refugees in the area, uh, the next thing you should find out is what are the needs that they have? You know, what are the possible needs that they have, that may have, what are the things that are needed? Remember that was Jesus' practice to always take care of the people's needs. And, also, and later on, he will invite them. You know, he will gain their trust and he will invite them to follow him. So that, that is why it is important to make also the list of the possible needs. And let me share with you in, us, in something that we did recently with the youth and the conference. Um, uh, we were uh, given, we were having this project where we were uh, sharing backpacks I know some people have done it overseas, but we, uh, uh, together with the uh, Lake Union Conference, uh, with the Department of Multi Multicultural Ministries, and by the way, also he will be a good contact as well, Pastor Carmelo, to be able to uh, help if you want to do some form of outreach as well with the refugees. So he's, um, we, we plan together with AACP Ministries a way of how to distribute uh, backpacks with, filled with the um, items that the refugees will be needing, you know, and as you see here, um, probably the letter is too small to see for you to see, but I'm going to try to read for you. Um, those specific needs that we see here are usually the needs that they have in the first three months when they come to live here, you know, because of course they have needs in the long term, in the short term, and also needs for the long term. Okay, so those ones that you're going to see here are the needs uh, usually for uh, the people come here for the first time or recently. Okay, so we divided these needs in, in, in three specific categories. Of course, you could add a fourth one, but we were thinking about uh, health, you know, things that were needed for the health of the people, you know, things that uh, help them like toothbrush, uh, uh, liquid hand soap, hairbrush, uh, shampoo, conditioner, uh, hand sanitizer, uh, baby wipes as well. Those are some of the things that, the basic things that for us it's not hard to get. It's not hard, difficult to find, you know, but some of them are new to the areas, are new to the place, and some of them find it difficult to be able to find those things. So the first area that we emphasized was the area of health. The second area we emphasized was the area of education. What are the materials that they're needing, especially the children, when it comes to education, you know? And sometimes they're at home and they need something to write on. So uh, we saw convenient to put also notebooks, coloring books, drawing, drawing pads, color pencils, crayons, pencil pouch, uh, sharpeners, uh, mechanical pencils, pencil leads, erasers, and glue sticks. And you'll see some of the items that you will see in the list. And these are currently the actual prices of everything, you know, that we have in there. And, um, and this is uh, account for around 100 people. This is for 100 people. So it was about 100 backpacks, okay, that we were sharing, uh, they were going to share with them. And I'll, later I'm going to show you how we, how we did it as well. The third area that we were considering is the area of comfort. Those are the things that uh, refugees will be needing uh, to feel better and to feel good, you know? Something like clothes, 
Also, if we are in the winter season, uh, you should consider to put some blankets or some beanies or some sort of uh, specific uh, clothes that will make them feel uh, also comfortable. And some also have included some, even some toys because sometimes even the kids need some toys to be able to play with and to at least recover part of that uh, childhood experience, you know? So, because toys is, is unbelievable, but you will see toys will also help them uh, take away some of the pain as well, you know? And make them forget some of the pain and the trauma as well. Uh, so we have also foldable water bottles, you know, so they could finish drinking it, you know, and you could just roll it up and put it on your, in your back. And also uh, we have uh, some other things that have, like uh, some of the adults were requesting even for socks. And this is actually, this was actually a survey that we created. This was a survey that we created. You could always change, edit in and out. But this is as always a survey that we created at SAP to be able to identify the needs that uh, these people uh, were having at the moment. Okay, so those are real things that they, they were asking for. And also, there is, of course, the area that is also very important, which is the area of mission, of course. So you will include, as a matter of fact, that the ABC in front of the in front of the uh, Andrews University, they sell these nice four book packs of Bible stories, colorful, for $10, $9.97. Right now it's on the sale. I'm not doing advertisement here, but I just want to make sure <laughs> that you know about it. Hey, would you mind writing? And then at the end, we're going to give a time for everybody yeah, to ask questions. Yes. So this is an example of what you could do, you know. Um, let me give you some tips about it. When you're making the refugee form uh, list, it will be good also that um, you include, of course, the, the handling and shipping, but you could do this also electronically, okay? So for, for you to better keep track of the things that you're ordering, you know? All right? So in that part of the, of, of the mission that we have is spiritual comfort as well, you know? in that part of the mission, and then we find materials that are relevant to their needs. Okay, let me just... Okay, so when we're presenting the plan, you know, you have to make sure, you know, that you answer, of course, these questions. This will work for any project that you do in general, you know? What is it that you're gonna present after you find out, you know, what is it, the needs they have, you know, the needs that they have after you find out uh, where they are located, you know, uh, after you find out uh, a, like approximate uh, pricing of the things, then you present what is it that you want to do to the church or even to your family or personally. You know, you present what is it that you want to do. You want, in this case, we did the, the backpacks and we did also um, a 5K color run. They were serving uh, two purposes. Course. One was for the local refugees, and another one, of course, for the other, for the refugees that were abroad. But the 5K color run, which is is very exciting in itself, and also could serve to help the people that are locally, you know, that are local. Okay. Then you should also be able to present to the church and ask the church and say, why is it that you want to do this? And you must make sure 
that this is, is this why explains that it is part of the mission of our church. Because God sent us to do the work not only to Hispanics, not, to, not only to English-speaking people, but to all nations. Is it to, isn't it? To all nations. And we should not be limited to, uh, to a culture or to a specific language. So, and as, as a matter of fact, let me include this in here from uh, pastoral experience. One of the ways you see if your church is fully uh, engaged in the community is that your church begins to reflect also the demographics of the community. You know, the demographics of the community. When you see that your church is diverse and is engaging in the community, you will see that the community, for example, if there are African-Americans, if there are uh, Caucasians, if there are Latinos, you will begin to see that if your church is engaging in the community, you will begin to see that also these demographics begin to stay in the church as well. Okay? The same thing happens to the Hispanic church. You know, if the Hispanic church is in the, in the English community, in English-speaking community, or in the, it should also make a space for uh, the people from that community to feel welcome as well. And the same thing happens as well for refugees as well. We should make a space where if they are in, the, in our community, in our area, we should also make sure that they have a place and they have a space. When do you want to do this project? When do you want to do this uh, project? Because it could be an event, it could be a one-time event, or it could be a long-time project. You know, some people uh, do uh, a, a provide food for them, you know, and they set up like a, a kitchen you know, so when they, so they could come, let's say, once or twice a week, and they do that as a form of ministry for refugees or people in need, you know. So you have to make sure if you want to do this a one-time event or you want to do it on the long run, that it could become part of the culture of the church as well. I would advise you to do a long-time event. The same thing happens with mission trips, you know. It has a better lasting effect when you spend a little bit more time, you know, working with the people over there just than just going one time in a short time, okay? Where you wanna do it? You wanna do it in the church? You wanna do it in a civic center? You wanna do it in a place where it's, it's a common place for the community? What is it that you wanna do? You have to find out what is the best place where they will feel comfortable and they will feel welcome. Of course, and the how. How are you gonna plan, to, uh, how are you gonna do it? And when you're talking about the how, make sure you also explain how we're gonna get the resources to be able to help them, okay? In the case of the backpacks, we had a combination of where the resources were coming from. Some from the organization, and also some were coming from uh, donors. For example, in the, for example, in the hand sanitizers, and another items, I think it was, hand sanitizers, and the pens. Those two items were donated by one other, other organization. So it was 200 items right, there, right away. And it was donated, in this case, was donated by the bank. You know? So you, you could go and visit different sponsors, you could go and visit different people uh, to be able to get also these donations. Of course, make sure is uh, your pastor knows, make sure that uh, the organization you're working with knows and also that they have a chance uh, to make sure, and they also have a chance, of course, uh, to have a choice in you providing also receipts or documentation for if they want 
most of the people don't ask for documentation or, or um, receipts or things like that. But it's good to have it handy, and it's good to be able to demonstrate that uh, that is coming to the right cause and to the right place, and also by and a serious organization. Or if you're doing it yourself, you're running it yourself, make sure that you present also a report to them as well. Okay? So, donate it. And another way of doing this is uh, the church could get the whole material, and then you ask for the members to, uh, let's say, sponsor one backpack, you know? Like, how many of you in the church would like to sponsor one backpack? So you basically, you add up, add everything up, get one full price and divide it in the, in the, in the, in how much one backpack will cost. And then you will, could offer to, let's say, to a member, you know, say, would you like to sponsor one backpack? It's going to be, make it easier for them. So one backpack will cost around $25 or something like that. Okay? So that's another way of doing it. Okay? So... And that goes into resources. So let me show you very quick uh, in the way how we were um, involving the youth in how to do the backpacks. So once we have all the items, and some of these youth uh, also even donated, let me see, some of these youth even donated some of the backpacks. So this, one's is, this one is one of the backpacks. And in this table, basically, there were all the materials that were going to be inserted in the backpacks, okay? Remember, you could also insert special literature, Christian literature as well, okay? So these pens were donated by someone. These notebooks were donated by someone else. And then also the young people could also give their input. They say, hey, I don't have money, but what about you writing a special message for this refugee? You know, encouraging messages. Everybody could help. Everybody could help in so many different ways. And they came. And some of them didn't even speak English. But they find out the Bible verse, you know, in the Bible, in the, in, the, in the cell phone, and they were able to share it. They were able to share and write down a, a good message uh, for the refugees, for the encouragement. Okay? So we have here, I'm sorry, I'm blocking you. For example, this, past, this is a pastor. He, he, his church donated four backpacks. For that, you see here some of the young people also writing in the first page of the notebooks. You see some of the things in there, and this is very special to me. Um, even the schools and the churches, uh, when they have Sabbath schools for children, they could also write messages. The children could also write messages to the refugees, and that's very encouraging. Let me see if you could read this one. It says, this one is welcome to the United States. This is what's written by a child. <laughs> welcome to the United States. I hope you like your bags and supplies. <laughs> Simple and nice. This one is also welcome to uh, USA. I hope you enjoy your book and supplies. You know, and don't you think that will feel nice? Like they will feel welcome. They will feel like someone identifies with them. Uh, <laughs> Look at this advice of <laughs> for, for the refugees given by a child. Goodwill is a cheap place, meaning it's a place where you could buy things for low price. <laughs> and it says, I used to be a refugee. Imagine that. I used to be a refugee. Safe travels here. God be with you. This is by a child. <laughs> so imagine that everybody could be involved in this, in this ministry. 
Welcome to the AES. I hope you like. I hope you like good. Good when you are thinking again. It is very good for. It is very good for twenty-five dollars. There you go. Well, at least it gives them some thought, you know. <laughs> Welcome to the US. We hope that you like the place. Leaks that you like this place. God will, God will bless you. Unknown. He made sure he put an unknown in there. <clears throat> so this is for the backpacks. We could, enter, we could talk maybe later about more details if you would like. But I also would like to share this other uh, um, event that we did which is the 5K color run, to be able to help also the refugees. It was very fun. It was very fun. And, and some of the things that um, were shown is that in, some, in one place, when they were passing running, there were actually also banners of the children that they were running for. So it was very inspiring. It was very inspiring. So you see this, these steps. I tried to summarize as much as possible, and I tried to share with you uh, this experience. Remember, when you're, when you're finished with the event, remember to always thank the sponsors. Always thank the sponsors, the people who were involved. Because it's, better, it's very good to leave this door open. And especially, um, uh, also run a survey if you do something like a 5K or an event when you involve community. Also run a, a short survey to, so you could hear feedback on what you could do better. And Remember, in our case, we were, we were making some uh, uh, appreciation certificates, and also we will be sending also a survey for feedback as well. So, so think about those, those things, and also, this is not all, the only two ways of doing uh, fundraising or doing activities or doing um, involvement of the community to help the refugees, because you cannot just um, uh, get the church involved, you could also get the community itself, in itself involved especially now that it's a very sensitive matter. So any questions that you might have? Yes. Um, when looking at the color run with the banners of the children, were the children from different uh, countries or were they kind of... That's a good question. Because usually, yeah, I understand probably what you're trying to say. This, this specific event was from children from all the country. That because the 5K, uh, color run was made for refugees from another, for another country. But you, what I was mentioning is that you could do also 5K for, uh, uh, to help the local refugees. But of course, mm -hmm. so we have two events, with the backpacks for the local refugees and the 5K for the um, overseas. But you could use the 5K color run for the local refugees as well. Of course, there are some limitations as, as in printing and displaying pictures for children in the... In the in the United States, especially children from the US. And also make sure that when you do events, make sure you're also legally uh, covered, okay? So when they come and participate in an event, make sure you have a disclaimer, you have a waiver, you know that they sign uh, to make sure that uh, everything goes according uh, to the safety of your church or your organization, you know? So we got everything covered legally. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point, and as a board member, I just have to, to remind people that um, everything needs to go through the board. Exactly. Because once you have voted on an event, your, your insurance That's correct. covers it. 
That's correct. We're glad we had an event at our church, just a social event, and somebody got hurt quite badly. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, everything was covered because it was one of those, oh, we're having this the social event, and we voted on it, and, and it was covered. So there were some quite a few mm -hmm. medical bills for just a simple accident. So that's one thing I would like to. And on another subject, um, again, going back to the board, you have, you know, it's best to just get board buy-in for everything that you do with mm -hmm. these ministries. Mm -hmm. I mean, just bring it in front of the board because if the board doesn't support you, you in some churches you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. And I know that in our church, everything, everything needs to go to the that's board. That's correct. And lastly, just a suggestion. We do a lot of homeless ministries in Ann Arbor Church. Uh. So when we ask for supplies, we've, we've stopped doing that, and I'll tell you why. Because if you ask for a backpack, and you'll have one people bring it, you'll end up with one backpack. So either we ask for money from a certain fund and buy it ourselves, or certainly if people want to donate, they can donate. But if, if you're putting together a hundred back or a hundred bags, let's say, you get all kinds of different items. So you're giving people different items and somebody's looking at the other person's and saying, well, they got this and I don't have that. So sometimes it's just good to have the same thing in, in the, bag. the bags or the backpacks. And one way to do it is ask people if they want to donate, it's best they can donate money and then they can write, it's a tax write-off for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's one way to do it. Mm -hmm. I remember who, who purchases a lot of things and then she puts the money back into, she gets reimbursed and puts the money back into the fund, but she gets a tax write-off. So there are a lot of benefits to uh, doing that, it a certain way. That's correct. Thank you very much for your input. And that's right. In coming back to the first point, um, pathfinders, when they're going on a trip or they're going to camping, it has to go through the board so there could be coverage for them, you know, uh, insurance coverage for them as well, as everything has to be through the board when it comes to events and everything, so it's, it's everything covered. And on top of that, make sure you have a, a waiver, a disclaimer to make sure that your church is also covered, especially when you come with a lot of people from the community, when you have a lot of people from the community. Thank you so much. How did you promote the event so that the people that you wanted to have the backpacks came to get the backpacks? For the people? We, we, how did you promote it or how did you communicate this yeah. to them? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you the two methods for, for the backpacks and the, for, the, for the 5K. Uh, for the 5K, it was an invitation to the community, basically. Uh, and also for um, Adventists and non-Adventists. This is for the 5K Colorado. And it was done through posting, you know, post in the, in the different places, um, Apple Valley or, you know, for those who know the area, and university throughout the whole university, throughout uh, schools, libraries, and many places, banks, and people where, places where people would come and, and, and be benefited, uh, I mean, and come and either buy or ask for a service. You will see a poster there. The other way was also promoting it through social media as well. We use a lot of uh, also social media. We use about eight groups, and those in, within those eight groups, there were around uh, 30,000 people like all together coming and seeing those, those, those uh, media outlets, if, if I may say. 
uh, and also personal uh, mouth uh, to mouth as well. I like word to word, giving the word by uh, word of mouth as well. When it comes to the backpacks, we use a different approach because we wanted to identify the specific groups. I actually have the names of the groups in here, maybe might be sharing with you later. But basically, since we had already in, 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 in place uh, someone who was in charge of, of helping identify the groups, and we have been also in, been in touch with the groups previously to that, so uh, we were able to, and, and that's what I was mentioning, um, to talk to Pastor Pollard or also to uh, Bill uh, from ASAP Ministries to be able to identify the groups where they are. And, and also, of course, a quick run in, in Google, you will be able to, to find it. But in order to, to find them, in order to uh, give the delivery, for example, of the backpacks, in our case, we were having a, uh, a special uh, training going on for the, church, for the churches uh, where a lot of refugees come, you know? So we, use the, we are using the same channels of the churches so, because since they know where they are, so we were able to actually uh, do outreach through them. You know, so there are a lot of churches who have a lot of uh, refugees in their churches, and they themselves are refugees, and they are Seventh-day Adventists. So, through them, we were able to uh, reach out to the other uh, refugees that were not Adventists. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, I'm very sure Pastor Paul and Pastor Sang and, and many of the people who work in the in ACP ministries will be more mostly glad, mo more than glad to help you find in your area. So when you say find in your area, do you mean Adventist refugees or just refugees in general? Uh, refugees and also Chan. Or, uh, if there are also Adventist refugees or or people who used to be refugees because they know specifically where they are located. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, that, that is a very, very good point. We have seen many um, Adventist church, um, I mean, uh, refugees and immigrants that come to this country that are already Adventists and they want to start something, they don't know where to go. And oftentimes, when they start small group or Sabbath school, they have a Sabbath school class or, you know, in the afternoon or sometime when the church is not being used, um, the connection between the mother church and the small group is vital. I mean, very, yeah. I've seen many groups fail. Many groups grown because of the contact between the mother church. Now, from the refugees' standpoint, they're here to seek for support, and they're on the shy side. Most of us, like the refugees, I'm speaking from my own experience, we're on the shy side. You know, we don't want to disturb them. We just we feel so bad already that we're taking their space. See that that mindset. So the reaching out, the reaching out is going to have. I mean, the reaching out to the group, um, the church, as a church, as a pastor, as the elders, elders team, it's got to make an effort um, to intentionally connect with this group. Now, the reason the Holland group uh, has become very successful is because there is a couple, actually two couples from the um, elder team that has paid attention to this Laotian group that have come and started a small Sabbath school class under the, in the basement. And these two made intention every Saturday they would come down and sit with them and, and introduce them and visit them in their homes and create connection with the with the newcomers. Because you know, when they come to this country, they don't know where to go. But if you build that friendship with them, and then that person, that two couples, end up being the bridge 
to connect this group with the English church and communicate and advocate for the group because they're not going to advocate for themselves. They, they're embarrassed. They're, they're just, that's the way that most refugees and immigrants are. There. We just feel bad that we're intruding, you know, that. But even if, if we feel like we're welcome, we, we're accepted into part of this family, then, you know, we become more open, more connected, and that the group will survive and, and thrive. Mm-hmm. So you don't think directly connected, you mean kind of connected, right? Because yesterday she was saying that they shouldn't become too close because they'll get. No, no, I mean, there, there's got to be um, a connection. Become. What I mean by that is when the group's starting up, you know, we need to we need to have somebody as a bridge between the group yeah. and the church. That person, that that you as a as the, as the bridge yeah, for support. Yeah. Because they will have needs and they will not communicate to the church and the church won't know what they need. But if there's a middle person that communicates, I mean, what Terry meant yesterday was that we shouldn't take over their program. That's a no no because you know as they grow, they need their leader. We need to we need to nurture their leader, empower their leader, empower the group. But not be in their way. Do this, do that. We let them do what they need to do. Be there to support. And if if they need us to teach, teach. You know, um, but don't be in their way of, of what they need to do. But be the bridge to communicate, to advocate on the behalf to the board, to the church. You know, mm-hmm. that could be a pastor, that could be a local yeah. lay person. Thank you, brother Ross, for the pressure. Now I would like to turn the time to Sister Shirley Feneman. Um, She's one of the experts in, the, in this area because this is the practical side. You know, she experiences, she does this from day to day, on a daily basis, at home, home church in Battersea, reaching out to refugees and immigrants. And so she's going to be giving you some ideas as a lay person. What are there some things that we could do to make a difference in, among the refugees and immigrant ministry? I'll share quickly my experience with starting with the refugees. It was a unique experience. I was going to church at the Tabernacle, and we have a big church, and I knew there was some foreign people on the one side from me. There was a lot of mothers and children that were coming to church every week, but I didn't pay attention. I was taking care of my folks, so I'd come late to church just when the sermon started and have to leave to go do caretaking. Um, So I didn't really have time to see who they were. But I was part of the CERT team, which is Community Emergency Response, and I was working with the city of Battle Creek with the um, disaster preparedness uh, leaders of the Battle Creek uh, city. And one day the man said, well, I'm going to be giving a a seminar, I mean, a a class, a training, then I'm going to have to have translated. And I said, oh, my ears perked up. Uh, When are you going to do that? And he said, well, don't you know we have 2,000 refugees from Myanmar, and I'm also in, in charge of national security and uh, homeland security. So he said, they're in the c- of, of interest to my department. And I said, oh, can I come and get in on that? I'd like to hear that. You know what? That training never took part. It fell apart. The lady who was going to do it didn't do it. But when I went back to church the next Sabbath, I looked at those people that were sitting in the pews and been coming every week. And the children were going down to listen to the um, children's story, and they were all, you know, just looked like they were paying attention and everything. Found out only about two or three people among all of them could understand the sermon. And I realized also, you can understand English, but you may not understand what the man is talking about, because his illustrations have nothing to do with your countries. I mean, you know just if you just stop to think about it. So 
but the people came because they were in the house of God, and that's where they wanted to be. Well, then I asked where they were meeting, and they said, well, they've got the adult Sabbath school. It is ended up being under the clock tower in a little tiny room, and I went up there, and I said, what on earth are you in this room for? And the deacon said, well, that's where they wanted to be. They did not want to bother anyone, and they didn't want to take a bigger room. They wanted, they're very humble. And I said, you can't grow up here. So we got to working. I mentioned it to the pastor, and, and I said, well, what about the meeting for church in their own language? He said, well, we have been advised that if they will sit in church, they will feel like they're part of us, you know, we're welcoming them, and that they will eventually learn English, and so they will integrate into it. I'm going, you know, when you go to church on Sabbath morning, it's not a time to learn another language. I have, well, here's where the Lord had prepared me. I had been in Germany with my father uh, in the military, and we went to the German service every week for two years. There was somebody who translated a little bit and would at least give us a text. And you know, on the way home, we would look at those texts, and every single one of us came up with a totally different sermon. <laughs> it was fascinating. There was only one man who was steeped in spirit of prophecy, who was an older man, and he was a little slower, and we, could, we started getting a few words. But so I had some experience of what it was like to sit in a foreign service. And so I presented this to the pastor. I said, you know, really, um, they're not getting anything out of it. He said, oh, he said, I thought they would learn English while they're sitting there. And I said, the language we use for church is different. It's a whole different vocabulary. Oh, okay. So we don't, a lot of things we do because we don't understand and just haven't thought it through or had that experience. If I hadn't had that experience in Germany, I wouldn't have known it either. And what we did first the children were going to our Sabbath school, Sabbath schools, and of course the tiny ones, the mothers were going with them. And so I started with the tiny tots. The mothers had no clue what was going on. And you know, we use themes like the farm and so forth to teach spiritual lessons. Well, these mothers were saying, what does this have to do with Bible stories? <laughs> and so we got one of the girls to translate the songs so at least the mothers would know what the songs were and they, know our alphabet, and so that worked out well. Well, I went to the next group up, and actually those teachers were doing some better in the fact that, and these kids still didn't know English. They were trying their best to you know, involve them and help them. But the Sabbath school lesson, we've gotten away from felts. And do you know if we had used our, would use our felts, the children could see the actions, and then they could actually learn more English? if we were using our felts, because they could see the action. They were walking to Emmaus, and it's illustrated. But if you're, and they weren't even using pictures anymore. And so I had a meeting with the Sabbath school teachers, and they started using more pictures. So the children, because they all knew, these were all Adventist children, they knew the Bible story. So once they got a picture of what the teacher was telling about, it gave them a reference point anyway. But I uh, didn't get them to use the felts. That, we have made a big mistake in getting rid of pills. But anyway, that's my hobby horse. Um, and I worked in children's ministries when they took them away, and I told my teachers, hang on to those. And now I have a nice box that we use for teaching English. Um, so the teachers made another step forward. 
And they said, well, will somebody come in and teach the children at least the lessons? Well, I realize now that no one felt comfortable of the refugees of coming into an ad, I mean, a, you know, the American one and teaching. So nobody came forward. And then the older children, they were already in school, so that, that was helping. Well, one Sabbath morning, I'll never forget, I had a tap on my shoulder, we were in church. And this lady that I didn't remember seeing before said, if you will come open up, this was during the church service, if you will open up the Sabbath, one of the Sabbath school rooms downstairs, I'll teach Sabbath school in our own language. I said, amen. <laughs> so I quickly got the junior uh, teacher, and we got a key and went down because they had the fewest things for anybody to get into. <laughs> Didn't want to take them to the cradle roll. And this teacher, Vunboy, she, she has her master's in education. She was a teacher in Myanmar. She knew what she was doing, but not only that, she taught like my mother. She didn't need things. She taught with her hands, and, and she had the children from the tiny ones up to about 12 years old. And they learned a new song every week. They learned a new story every week. And this is where we got our start. But, and here is something that I've discovered that was very important, and you've brought it up about reaching out to them. Uh, and, and about that time also the group decided, the youth group said they could use, they could meet in the youth room and have services. This was wonderful. So they decided if they would start their Sabbath school when we had church, then they could go up and have the Sabbath school in the youth room. Downstairs in the junior room, they could have the Zomi children's meetings. And then when they were ready for church, we were out and they could have church. And about that time, we also discovered that there was an Adventist Zomi pastor in Grand Rapids. We were thrilled. In fact, I said to him, I said, you know, in Spirit of Prophecy, you can go ahead and hand the, uh, this one out. In Spirit of Prophecy, the Lord says that he's going to send the heathen to our borders for us to train them and equip them that they can reach out. I said, the Lord wants to come because you know what? He is tired of us <laughs> being so slow. He is now sending his teachers and pastors and, and so to help us. And it's wonderful. And it, it's exciting to know. This is, a, this is a new day, and it's so exciting to work with him. Well, so Pastor Tin started coming down. The first Sabbath he came, we only had about 10 adults maybe 15, 10 that were regular. That first Sabbath, we had a meeting where he came down and preached in his own language. We had 70 people because he brought a few that he had from Grand Rapids. And the Baptist, we have a unique situation. Almost all of our refugees are either Adventist or Baptist or a few in other Christian denominations. And also, the Baptist missionaries transliterated their language using our alphabet, so it's, it makes it easier for us to, to work with them as well. Anyway, so the Baptist people came too because here it was in the Zomi language. We have five tribal languages in our area. Most of the Adventists are Zomi. There are many, there is a Zomi Baptist church, but, and there is a Falam Baptist church, and there's a Hakka Baptist church, and there's one for each of the other tribal languages. But they were so thrilled, and, and a lot of them are related somehow. If not, they come from similar villages, and they're very communal. So anyway, 
But that first Sabbath, people at our church started getting it. You need services in their own language. But this was another step because when we go overseas to other countries, we learn the language and we go to their services. But it's a little trickier when they come here because you've, you've got a growing, you've got some that know English, you've got some that have been here a long time and they're more Americanized and then you've got the new refugees. So you, you have to keep your program dynamic and the needs. Well, some of these families that we had had been here only a short time, but some of them had been here a while. Some of the children, we had, the, I remember five little boys. I've got a picture of them somewhere, but I'm, I'm needing to get through this fast, so I'm not going to stop. There were five little boys who had been here a while. They knew English. They were in our church school. And by the way, there was a Japanese lady who saw the need to get them in church school. And she brought the need to the school, and our teachers did a fantastic job the first year to all of a sudden get all these children who were new and didn't know English. It was a real challenge, and we had a growing period. But anyway, these five boys had been going to the English Sabbath school. They were going to the English school, and so they did not want to go to the Zomi Sabbath school. That was beneath them. They were Americanized now. And they were mad at me because they thought I was the one that got the Zomi Sabbath school started. And so they, when I walked in the room, you could just see it in their eyes. You know, like, we don't want to be here. We're not going to sing. And they didn't. They sat there like bumps on the log and just angry, you could tell. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I mean, this is not my culture, not my kids. You know, what do you do, kid? But I was so intrigued with Boon Boy and how she taught Sabbath school, which was more like my mother did. I mean, I could almost understand her because she was so animated. And if you've heard Eric B. Hare, I think he learned from them, <laughs> not the other way around. Anyway, she had those kids in the palms of her hands, all except those five little boys. And the kids were singing, and she was telling stories. And I, then she started writing the songs down for me so that I could start learning how to sing along with them in Zomi because it was using our alphabet. If it was Eric B. Hare's group, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> anyway, I was having the time of my life. This was like being in the mission field and not having to leave my bed. And I was enjoying it. And I had the opportunity. She said, would you say, what? no, she didn't ask me. I, I just was impressed by the Holy Spirit. And I got up one time in Sabbath school and I said, you know, you young people have a real advantage learning two languages. If you know the Zomi, your grandpas and grandmas, aunts and uncles, they don't speak English, so you can share the stories with them. And someday you may go back as a missionary. I said, just think of it, two languages. Most of our kids, they're doing well to speak one. So, and I, I just really, and I said, I am having so much fun learning your language. Well, I kept coming and watching those little boys. And pretty soon, they very grudgingly started singing and started listening. And Boon Boy is so good at, at drawing them out and getting them involved anyway. Pretty soon, those five boys were coming to the English Sabbath School earlier. Then they were staying and going to the Zomi Sabbath School after that, and then the Zomi Church. 
I had no idea this was going to happen, but I'm letting you know so you can be watching out for it. How we treat them, and if we see value in their culture and in their language and coming alongside of them, it will help not only us, because we get to get, learn more about their culture and it's enriched, but it will help them to be able to accept their own culture and the commission that the Lord has for us to take the gospel to all the world. And I still only speak about two or three words in their language, but I can sing. And I found that I can even sing in Hakka as well because I went to a service and it's, it's close enough that I, you have to stand and sing and listen a while and then your brain kind of starts kicking in. And for those of you, none of you are really as old as I am, I don't think. <laughs> it challenges your brain. And uh, God has said, if we will bless others, you know, we ourselves will be blessed. And that's what I found. Now, I've given you a whole sermon. I only have a few minutes left. So I've, anyway, does that give you a little bit of an idea? All of us are, are reaching refugees at a different stage and a different culture. So you need to, like um, Pastor Rojas was saying this morning, you've got to look at your group and tailor it to that. And I was blessed because there were several things that you're doing that now I realize that we can start doing with our group that's going to really enhance it. And, but the biggest thing is to equip, not to tell them what to do, not to come in and boss, but to equip them and learn. And as we go, and that was another thing, um, the pastor kept saying, well, why don't we bring them into the English-speaking Sabbath school class? I mean, to church, and we'll translate, you know, like once a quarter or something. I said, you know, last Sabbath I sat in the Zomi church. I did not understand a thing, but I loved to just sit in there, sing, and I enjoy it. Pastor Tin usually has overhead so that I can see a little bit of English, and he'll drop a word here and there. But I, we have so many mothers with little children. To bring them into our church, they feel uncomfortable, they're always worried that their children are going to be bothering people. And it's going to be, at this point, not a good idea. We need to incorporate them in other ways. And he, about two weeks later, he went and preached in their service. And I said, amen. <laughs> because he got a feel of what it was like. Their services, instead of making the kids be so quiet, they're used to a little more noise, and so they raise the level of the music and the speaking, so you just go over the top of them. And I know that when I was in camp meeting, when I was a little kid, we had the old-fashioned tents, and we could sit on the floor and we could make noise in the grass. I mean, not on the floor, it was on the ground in the sand. And so children were not noticed as much as when we moved in the building where you had chairs and cement and it you know, made a lot of noise. So I could understand. For them right now, they could sit and listen to him because they weren't worried about the children. And so you have to just be really sensitive to where your group is at. Now, some of our older young people, they enjoy going to the other services. So just, I would recommend to you, read, read, read. This is a tremendous book, Passport on Missions. It helps you with culture. We had training, we had the DOSs come in from the General Conference and do some training at the very beginning. Um, 
We had ASAP came in and gave us training. We had Terry Salih come in and give us training. Train, train, train. It will make it a whole lot easier. Read mission stories. We read Eric B. Hare's and also other missionary stories from that culture and saw that uh, some of the things they did was have industries so that the mothers and the people could uh, work and help with tuition to school. Well, that did not happen because I'm not a seller and I can't, I'm not any good at selling and that kind of thing. Would you pass out also? There's some, right on the end, there's some folders with some, and there's three and they're gonna look almost exactly alike, but they're different. Yes, if you'll hand out one of each of uh, there's three different papers. Yeah. Yeah, you can, um, yeah. There's three different handouts with all kinds of ideas. One of them is a survey for the community. One was a survey for uh, volunteers in our um, church to do. These are just some ideas, and if it overwhelms you, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> because we put all of our ideas down and then see how many people respond to the different ones. And then um, that's the way we do our programs. Uh, one other, oh, when we, we started going into the homes to teach English, because we don't want to leave them in ghettos. And we don't want to leave the mothers behind because they need to know English. When I saw the older children translating for the mothers when they went into the doctors, this is, the mother's not gonna tell all kinds of things, and besides that, the kids don't have the vocabulary, and even if they're older kids, they don't. So we need to teach the mothers English, and we have, they don't think they can learn it. And so we started off with, because they are Christian, we started off with hymns, and do a lot of singing. We do the Zomi first. Oops. We do the Zomi first, and then we do it in English. So they have a gist of the, of the language, and, it, and we do children's songs, and it is wonderful. It has been um, our key. And when they had the trouble with R's, the Lord gave me redeemed. You won't remember how many R's there are until you start singing it. And then the neighbors started coming because they were Baptist and redeemed. And I didn't get this to a translator later. You believe you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? So we discovered we were doing hymn studies while we were teaching English. And pretty soon we had a room full of 25 people in that little apartment who were learning English and also we were giving the spiritual too. Know your mission know your message, and, but the biggest thing is come alongside the people, and we're worried, oh, and the other thing is emergency response, and if anybody wants to talk to me afterward, I'll share with you how uh, emergency response has been one of our keys. Remember I said that there was, I was working with the, uh, with the city police and firemen, they are thrilled to have us because we are training, going to train first English-speaking uh, refugees, and then they in turn will help us to, to go to those who are not English-speaking because they are at risk whenever we have emergencies. And not only that, it, 
that is a real good way to tie them into the community and get them involved. And you don't have to worry about Adventists, non-Adventists, and you're reaching into the community. And so if anybody's interested in that, that is to me one of my, that going into the homes. And friendship circles, this is something that they're actually doing through the Burma Center, and they're asking us to lead out so that we are able to reach. They're wanting to, somebody was saying, how to bring the American, I can't see Americans. I'm not, still not sure what, how to do this politically correct. Anyway, those of us who have English as their first language, because we've got a lot of American uh, citizens now in our group. Uh, but Americans, to, to connect them with people who do not speak the language is scary, and they don't know how to do it. And we're trying to take our people step by step by giving them little things how, of ways to connect with them. Like we started a Sabbath school class that's just praying for them. And the, this lady who's well known in the community is asking us to have different kinds of events where we can bring these ladies together and help them start working together. Right now, the biggest thing we're doing is sewing. And we're getting ladies from the community, and they're sewing right next to ladies who are Burmese. And that's a real non-threatening way to bring people together. So if you have any question about any other ideas, you can look at the paper. Did you get? There should be about four, three pieces of paper that you got. These are just ideas. We haven't done all of them, but we're working on it. And, but again, we get ideas, and then we go and see what the need and what the response is. How many uh, people do you have in your volunteer group? <laughs> right now, I'm down to five. And so we've had to cut back our program some, and, but we're starting to build. We're finding we're needing to go in to the church and actually teach the people what is needed. And they are finding, that's when we're finding that they're afraid. What do I do? How do I say? What do I do? So pray for us. All right, well, thank you so, so much, Sister Shirley, for all you do for the refugee community in West Michigan. Well, ASAP has been our, been our mentor, you and NAD. And uh, you're the ones that got us on this, on this view because most of the churches are just with the mindset of assimilating them. And not doing this, so this this is the group. And that time will come. Assimilating yeah. the group into the culture, that time will come. But you know, it takes time. You can't expect them to land on this out of the plane and all of a sudden become American. It doesn't have, doesn't that's doesn't have the way it's not the way it works. And that's not God's plan. That's not God's plan. And <laughs> so um, I'm so grateful for those of you who faithfully attending this meeting and learning new ways, or maybe you already know this and you already practice it in your own settings and you come and give uh, ideas. Um, you know, I want to read, I want, I'm, I'm wrapping up, I'm closing, uh, so I want to read um, to you a, a message from uh, Sister White that I found recently from um, the Civic Union Recorder. Alright, and that's what, this is what Mrs. White said over a hundred years ago. Many of these foreigners are here in the providence of God, here in this country, in the providence of God, that they may have the opportunity to hear the truth for the first time and receive 
a preparation that will fit them to return to their own lands as barriers of precious light shining directly from the throne of God. And think about that. There is a purpose why they are here. That's, there's a purpose why I am here. You know, and many, many of these refugees that you know that are here, that, are, that came here as refugees, they became refugees in the refugee camp because there's some work going on in the refugee camps. But some of us have not that opportunity. Some of us were not in the refugee camp for very long. Like my family, we came here as Buddhists because in the refugee camp, we were there for just a short time. So we have both groups. We have both the Christians, the Adventist ones, and there are those that are non-Adventist, non-Christian that are still well, remain the same religion uh, as they were um, when they were in their own country. And we have to find a way to minister to them. Now, what's Sister Fenneman been doing to reaching out to the non, or to the to the Adventist ones? That is also the key, and the key in a sense that, in order for us to reach out, the, I believe that the most effective way to reach out to the the non-believers one is through those that are believers already. And so, I want to give you five points or five six points of my own experience of how how um, church planting. Uh, has been successful for in my in my own experience. I came here as refugee, but as I become a Christian, I also have a passion to reach out to my my native people, my native my countrymen here in Holland, Michigan, not too far. We actually started the first Laotian church in North America, the very first Laotian church in North America, out of nearly three quarter a million Laotian refugees in North America. There was no Adventist among us at all. Terry was the one, Terry Saley was the one that started the, the work. And I have continued, I became her pupil, the, her student, and have graduated from theolo theology, theological studies, and I've continued the church planting. And just in 2016, we have become a group, an organized group, we're not official church, but we function as a church, and we have our own facility, and we are now thriving, growing, and reaching out to other um, uh, Laotians throughout the, in North America and throughout the world, throughout media evangelism. And, and if it wasn't because an individual like Terry and her team was interested in, in the Laotian work, I would not have been here today. Just, I will tell you that. And the work among Laotian people would just would not be existing. And so that's, that's the impact that you can make as an individual, as an as a individual here in North America. What can I do? You know, what can I do? So here's the first thing you do. Pray. Pray earnestly for the Spirit of God to lead you in your community, in your nearby community, in the, next, the city that's next to you, the closest to you. There will be refugees, immigrants that need to be reached. Maybe they are Adventists. Maybe they're already Christians. Maybe they're not. But pray for God's guidance as, as Philip prayed for the opportunity to minister to, to the, um, the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, pray. Second thing is once you pray, start opening your eyes and expect, expect to put your hand to work. Expect to put your hand to work because God will bring you, like Sister Fenneman shared with you, God will bring you to the people, to that one person or the two people or that group that he will open the door for you to start ministering to. And once that happened, be ready to, to take the sacrifice because this is not a popular thing. This, not many people are doing it, so you might be the only one in your church that see the needs to reach out to refugees. Your church, your board, your pastor might not have that desire. They're too busy. They have other programs. So you might be the only one in your group 
but be willing to be, be ready to exercise, uh, um, excuse me, be ready to take the sacrifice, take the step to, to start. What can I do? You know, and like we have resources. If you don't know where to start, contact us at ASAP Ministries. We have resources. We have people who's, who, uh, we have a refugee coordinator, Pastor Bill Wells, who will come to your, to, with you and with your church and help you uh, get started. And different group of people, different faith background, we have to start a different place. Not everybody is the same. They're refugees, but they, 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 have, they come from different backgrounds. Now, when you start, find the key people, whether they are Christian already, Adventist already, or whether this is non-Adventist uh, community, find the key people, the key people within that group that you can mentor. You know, if you, if you find a, already a believer, great, you know, befriend with that person, build relationship, go to their home, visit them, uh, be encouragement to them, find the key person. And that key person is going to be the bridge between you and the, their community. They're going to introduce you to another person, another person can introduce you to another person. And if they trust you, they love you, they grow through, they're going to start accepting you as one of them. They're going to start calling you aunt, auntie this, auntie that, and uncle. As a matter of fact, they might start calling you mom, you know, mommy, mommy Shirley. And I had a person who mentored me when I was young, as I was coming to the church, Debbie. Debbie Harding is her name. She's albino from Canada, who was a member of our church in Sacramento. She's legally blind, but she have adopted me as her son. She said, you know, I'm going to adopt you as my spiritual son. And so from that relationship, she has mentored me and helped me and teach me and, and taught me many things about God and, and nurtured my spirituality to become, uh, to become who I am. You know, she took the time so, to adopt somebody, adopt the key person, mentor that person, and through that person, you will reach the community. Uh, and then you advocate, uh, advocate for the group. They, as the group start forming, as this group, as you started having some of the groups meeting in your church, in your basement room in the church, or somewhere in the church, or in the afternoon hours, you know, um, advocate for them. Go to them. See, what do you need? Advocate for them. On, go to the board. Say, this is the group that they need help. You know, hey, what can we do? Advocate for them. Okay, they need advocates. Uh, ASAP Ministries advocates for Southeast Asian and the persecuted and the refugees. Okay, that's what ASAP does. And advocate and educate. Educate your people. Advocate your, educate your people. Okay, your group, your church. Advocate, let them understand that the refugees that come, the immigrants that come, they, they came from a different background. You'd be careful, you know, uh, some things to watch out for, some things to be careful of. Their children allowed. Their children are not as, uh, their service is loud and lively. There's a lot of children, you know. Educate your people to accept, to, to watch out for them, to accept them, to under, try to understand as they emerge, in, as they try to fit into the, the culture. And you know, surely um, in, in Holland Group, as we started to have our own Sabbath school, we got a Sabbath school class, but once a month, uh, we, well, first we started as a Sabbath school. We meet together and study the Bible. We join the English church as for a church service because we, in those days we didn't have we didn't have the, um, uh, the resources to start our own service, and our group was pretty small. But as we began to grow, we started our own, our own service in our own language. But once a month, we would join the English church so that we could create that connection. So it's okay. Once a month, encourage your people and you just go worship with our mother church. We call that our mother church. So they, the people have a chance to connect with the, the bigger congregation, and they can, the congregation can see the ministry going. We moved three times. Three times within the church, from the basement up to another Sabbath school classroom, we outgrew that. We moved to a bigger room, we outgrew that. Eventually, we bought our own place <laughs> because we, we keep growing, you know? And this is a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, 
And it wasn't for the Holland Seventh-day Adventist Church, you know, uh, the Holland, Holland Elohim Church would not survive. They have been so welcoming. They've been so understanding. Like, our children were loud. I mean, there's some members, like, some there are members, like, they get annoyed, you know, because our children are a little bit loud and cried sometimes during service. But overall, the church has been patient with us, and we grew and grew and grew, and now we have our own facility and everything. And so, so advocate, educate. And another thing would be connect them with the community. So, so connect the, the group that you have with the community and resources. You know, for example, if there's a, just a small group, just, just a small group, and um, uh, they don't know how to, um, they don't know where to go. They, for example, the new refugees that come, they don't really know where to go if they, if, if they come to your church. And you look at them, oh, the strange people, who are they, you know? In, go to them and try to connect them with the, with the church community. You know, you've got to educate both. You've got to help both of them to, to connect to each other. And uh, bring them to resources, like uh, provide resources for them. Um, we do have this thing here. ASAP has developed this, uh, My Language, My Life. Whatever language you have, that may, the group that you may have in your community, there's like, how many languages, Pastor Paul? Like 200 plus? Over 100 languages. So you can go to mylanguagemylife.com. You can get resources. You can download materials, Bible study lessons, um, even uh, Jesus DVDs and sermons. So different language. Just go in here, get the resources for them, so you can pass it on to, to, your, to your people. Um, if they're already Adventists and been for a long time, that's great. You know, you may not need, need this connection, but, but for newer people that have come to your church, that if there's only a few of them, you know, connect them with the community of your church and connect them with the resources available for them. And eventually help them organize, um, you know, help them to become organized group. Uh, for those that already have been a Christian for a long time, they may already know how to organize themselves, but I'm talking about the ones that just started to, to become Christians and as they grow, be there with them. Uh, be the bridge that connects their group to the, to the board. You know, you may, have, you may invite, if you're not a board member already, you may invite one of the board members to be a part of, that, of your team so that she or he can petition or talk, speak on the behalf, advocate for them, because they're not going to speak up for themselves. The refugees and the immigrants, they're so embarrassed, they're not going to speak up for themselves. They need a voice. They are the people, we are the people that have no voice, but you can be that voice. And so once this work is growing, like Elijah White said, once they learn the truth, once they emerge in the truth, they will be the ones to reach out to the unreached in, their, in, the, in the United States. Now, but not just in the United States. They will send the message back home. So do you want the world to, do you want to reach the world ASAP? What is the method here? You know, Jesus taught us already. Ellen G.Y. has get, get, given us the light for a long, long time. It is to empower the people that is among us that we can reach, whether they're Muslims, whether whatever the country, the culture, background they're from. When we reach out to these individuals and they found the true faith and they're on fire and they're growing in faith and they they're passionate about the gospel. You can't help, but they will, on their own, spread that message to their community, spread that message across back home. And if we reach out to one refugee, you, that, that's not going to be the only refugee you reach out to. You're going to reach out to a whole bunch because once that person accepts, you know, Martha Shirley, she can, you know, she's so kind, so nice to us, right? And they will tell their friends, and their friends will come, and more people will come, and more people will know. So through that one person, add more, three, four, five, six, seven, and eventually the whole community know where you are, and the message, you know, in their country. The refugees that come to this country, most of them are from the restricted countries, the countries that are anti-Christian, 
we cannot evangelize or political or religious reason, they cannot evangelize in their countries. We can't go as missionaries, but they can send the message home. They can send the message home. There was a lady in my church who had come to the faith, and she was so on fire. And through her, through her being passionate about the gospel, call home to her family at home. You need to learn about Jesus. You know, this is something we've been lacking for our lives. We've been living in the dark, and eventually her family is starting to listen. And there is now a church in this hillside country in Laos that's, that is growing and thriving because of one individual who comes to the faith and was passionate about God. And this, she is not the only example. There are many, many, many examples of individuals who come to know God, to love God, and send the message home and start church plants in, uh, in areas where you and I could never enter. That's the message that, Jesus, that I believe that Jesus wants us to hear, is that make a difference. Make a difference in the world. We, this is our home. This is like a refugee camp. You know, the world is like a refugee camp. We're not home yet. Don't be so comfortable, right? <laughs> yeah. We become so comfortable that we lose a mission. And, you know, I just want to encourage you, start. Do what you can. If you need something, if you need um, what we can do to help, here's a book. It'll give you a perspective of, of uh, what's, who's here in, this, in the U.S., what they believe. It's just a brief summary. Okay? Have, take some. We have back there. And we have some handouts. And, Call us at SAP Ministries. We don't have a lot of time, but call us. We are always available to give you assistance in any way that we can. Okay? So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here. And thank you, Pastor Paul, for organizing this whole event, for making this happen. It was the last minute thing. We didn't plan to have this. It was like a couple weeks before the camp meeting. We found out, yeah, we can have this. And so I just want to thank you so much. And thank you, Shirley. Thank you. Um, Terry was here. And thank you, Pastor Rojas, for being here. And those of you who participate in this event. Why don't you come and give us a blessing uh, or give us a uh, prayer for us as we um, venture out from here and what, what God will lead us to do next. Father in heaven, thank you for opening the door for us to have this seminar here at Camp Meeting and for these folks who have come, for Shirley, who has shared from uh, working on the ground floor, largely through community services and Sabbath school organization that's already in place, uh, thank you for Daniel's uh, uh, new outreach to the challenge the Spanish community to become sensitive to refugees and what they can do to be a blessing. So, Lord, move us forward. Give us an opportunity, please, to, to speak to the pastors when they are at Camp Asable uh, later this summer or in some meeting like that so that they can be educated and be inspired to become sensitive to those that you've brought to our land. Bless us as we move through this preparation day for the final 24 hours of camp meeting. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.